you've had a great weekend. Well, um, I'm excited to dive into just um, meeting with the Lord together um, with you as a body this morning, um, getting to bring him our worship, um, getting to just see what he has for us this morning. Um, but before I get into that, um, we're going to do a few announcements, but I'm going to start. I'm going to invite um, our uh, leader of Faith Women, Christy Huff, to come on up and tell us about an upcoming event. All right. Good morning, ladies. I want to personally invite you to our ladies game night. It's going to be on Saturday, March the 2nd from 5 to 8 in the Fellowship Hall here at Faith. So um, the graphic might be a little deceiving. We're not going to be playing chess or checkers or go fish. <laughs> we are going to be playing a game together as a group, though. So, And the biggest thing, we're going to be having food. So these ladies blew us away, I think I would say, at Christmas with the food. It was like we, we set up tables, thought we had plenty, and yet there was still not enough tables to contain all the food. So these ladies know how to cook. So we're having a food contest. The categories are for best appetizer, best casserole, and best dessert. So here's the catch. We have a limited number of tickets to enter the food contest. So if you're interested in entering your best appetizer, your best casserole, your best dessert, you need to see Amber Prevet. Amber's going to be standing at the back um, after the service, so see Amber to get your ticket. And to sign up for the event, there is a QR code in your bulletin. Use that. And, of course, if you have any questions, you can see me or Amy Farron or Amber or Brittany Gross um, after the service. Okay. And, Christy, let me ask you, what's the age um, oh. minimum for that? 13 and up is what we're saying. Perfect. So. Okay. Perfect. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Awesome. Ladies, I'm excited about that. I will be there. My 13-year-old will be there with her award-winning snickerdoodles is my guess. I better grab a ticket for her. Um, <laughs> I would invite you, though, to that. These are the kinds of things, um, both uh, when uh, faith men do things like this and faith women, these are ways that we're able to connect in, in relationship and fellowship. Um, we see that over food biblically all the time. Um, so I just invite you to come out and have fun in a relaxed environment to get to know the Women of Faith Church just a little bit more. All right. Also, this coming Wednesday, our Faith Church Bible study is um, starting back up this Wednesday. Um, Pastor Charles is actually the one who's going to be kicking it off. Uh, we'll be rotating teachers just like last year. But this Wednesday, Charles will be teaching specifically on bloodlines and what um, significance bloodlines play in Scripture. Uh, it's going to be really intriguing. Um, it's going to give you invitations uh, to dive deeper into the word and the connections that God makes um, throughout scripture with bloodlines. So I invite you to that. That's in the fellowship hall this Wednesday across the parking lot at 630. We would love to see you there. Also, I just want to give a shout out to Faith Youth. Um, they had the, the women leaders of Faith Youth put on a special event um, this last week for uh, youth uh, girls 
called Galentine's. And it was just this really beautiful, special um, time for the girls to get to ask questions, to be pampered by um, women of Faith Church and have encouragement in growing up in the Lord with um, healthy relationships, healthy identity. And that kind of stuff happens all the time in youth right now. There's multiple events going on this month. So I just want to encourage you, if you have um, uh, a child or a neighbor or a friend who is in sixth grade or up, and you would like to make sure you are in the know about events like that, um, just put your name and your email on a connect card uh, on the bulletin and stick it in the connect box on your way out. And we will get you on the uh, faith youth email list. So you know all the things that are coming up. Um, and let's see, a couple other things. Um, just a quick reminder, uh, we've got restrooms right here. We've got restrooms downstairs. We would just um, politely ask that if, if you don't have um, a physical need uh, that necessitates you using the close restrooms, um, if you would just use the restrooms down the stairs um, during the service, that just helps cut down on distraction and allows people to engage in both the worship and the message um, distraction-free. So please feel free to use the restrooms. If you can, use the ones down the stairs if you need to. There are restrooms here as well. And lastly, up front here, just like every Sunday, we have our ministry team on the front row um, ready, willing, and excited to engage in prayer with you. So if you need prayer for something um, and you would like prayer support in that, whether it's healing or freedom or encouragement, we would love to invite you to come see this team, both during worship um, at the start of the service, um, during reflection time at the end of the service. They are here ready to minister to you. And just so you all know, the, those that are serving on the ministry team are people who are engaged um, in our School of Kingdom ministry. Um, so they, are, they have been trained, are being trained, are and excited to meet with the Lord with you. All right. Well, if you would stand with me as we go to the Lord in prayer, speaking of prayer. We're just going to ask him to bless our time this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we just invite you to this place, God. Lord, we're gathered here for you. All our energy, all our time, all our money, all our attention, it just doesn't mean anything unless you're here, God. So we're here to meet with you this morning, Jesus. We're here to yield to you with open hands and open ears and open eyes, God. Teach us. Lead us, Holy Spirit. God, I ask that you would lead, lead our hearts, Lord. Father, as we seek to honor you with our mouths and with our hands and with our feet, God, I pray that, that the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you, God. Lord, this week... God, if we have thought thoughts or allowed ourselves to dwell on things, Lord, that are not pleasing to you, Father, right now, we come in this moment. God, we say we're sorry. And would you please forgive us for meditating on things that are not pleasing to you? 
Father, cleanse us with the blood of Jesus. Bring our thoughts, bring our hearts, bring our minds back to you. God, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you that you have made it, Jesus, that you have made it so simple that we just humble ourselves and ask, God, for your forgiveness, and you are faithful and just to forgive. So, Lord, stir in us, God. Stir in our hearts affection for you, Jesus. Stir in our hearts meditations that are pleasing to you, Lord that we would be equipped and filled and sent, Lord, to expand your kingdom and love you well and experience the joy of your presence. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ah, can we all say amen? Hallelujah. I'm going to invite the praise team to come up. And as they're coming, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. Um, as adults, uh, we all understand uh, intimacy. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is that intimacy, as we know, can be this intimate, beautiful, beautiful, soft place. Or it can be passionate and, and expressive. And, and I hope we can capture all of that today as we love on the Lord. Can we just acknowledge that we're in an intimate relationship with the Father with his son Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to read two passages of scripture. One comes from the Song of Solomon. And I love it because in the beginning, my heading says the bride confesses her love. We are the bride of Christ. Let's confess our love to the Lord. And it says um, in verse 2, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And for some people that gets real difficult. It's like, oh, I don't see my relationship with the Lord that way. Then begin to see it that way. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is all poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. And then she says, draw me. Draw me after you. And then she says, let us run. The king has brought us into his chambers. And so this morning, the Lord is drawing us into his chamber of intimacy as we worship him. And then since we're talking so much about the blood and Hebrews 10 and verse 19 it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean. Oh, Lord, sprinkle our hearts right now and our minds and our bodies. Lord, draw us, draw us and we'll run after you. We'll pursue you, Lord, with everything we have. Let's see. Oh, draw me, Lord. Oh, draw.
already been pursuing you through prayer this morning. God, thank you for meeting with us. Lord, now we've entered in with scripture and with words from you, Lord. Father, what we want to experience is your glory. Just a glimpse of your glory, God. Lord, that heaven and earth might collide as we worship now. We pray this in Jesus' name. How many of you have been waiting for this day right here? How many of you look forward to Sundays? Come on. Woo! All week long, I'm like, Lord, Sunday. Not that we can't meet with Him at other times, but there's just something about when we gather with the body of Christ on Sundays. Woo! We've waited for this day. We're gathered in your name. Awakening to 
presence of the Lord. Man, it was strong this morning in our time together as we prayed. The Lord is here now. Reach out to him and let him meet you right where you are. There's nothing that our God can't do.
what do you do if you don't feel like worshiping the Lord? Bring him a sacrifice of praise. If you're in that dark place today and you're going, I don't feel this. spirit, a song will rise up in those that feel like they don't have a song today. Because Lord, I know in a, in a congregation this big, there's many people who don't have a song. Or their song is being snuffed out in a dark place. Father, restore that song.
that's what we ask, that you would be with us, that your spirit would be present with us this morning and that Jesus would be glorified. In his name we pray, amen. Stay standing. Oh, I don't think anybody sat. Is that like a first? That's amazing. Uh, so my name is Michael Bovey, filling in for Charles this week. He's out at a conference and hopefully we'll uh, no, I know. We'll have some amazing stories uh, from that later you can ask him about. But first, uh, before we dive into the message, we're going to do 50 Weeks in the Word. That's for those that have signed up. Uh, we do read one chapter every week, uh, one verse that we memorize, and then Bible studies, uh, like Lauren said, in the Fellowship Hall, 6.30 on Wednesdays. And this week, we were in Exodus 15. If you have missed some of those weeks missed a verse or you haven't signed up yet, it's never too late. This is a let's get in the word together time. Um, but this is your last few seconds to read Exodus fifteen eleven, if you need a little refresher and we will say it together in three, two, one. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. Exodus fifteen eleven. I, I think I got it, and I think that means you can sit. <laughs> if I was better at muting, I would have just muted it. So if I messed up, you wouldn't have known. But you know, I don't have the muscle memory here like Charles does. So. Uh, welcome, good morning. Today we are continuing kind of uh, through the, the series that Charles has been leading us through of Leviticus called Purified for the Presence. Um, and if you've missed any of those or just want a refresher, go back, check it out. Highly encourage that. Um, possibly the first time I haven't drifted off or fallen asleep going through Leviticus, confession time. Um, <laughs> It's been really good. I've learned a lot. And, uh, and today, we're, we're taking a break out of Leviticus, uh, but we're going to um, what, what I'm going to call Leviticus adjacent, okay? That's, that's what we're, we're calling it, Leviticus adjacent. We're going to be in Hebrews 13 today, um, and we're going to talk about going outside the camp. And so, this is kind of like take the stuff that we've been talking about, that Charles has been talking about and teaching on uh, in Leviticus and the sacrifices and all of that, and then fast forward and see how Jesus fulfills the law and fulfills everything, and then fast forward a little bit more, and we get the Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, saying, okay, now let's look back. Let's look backward, and he's looking at the whole Old Testament and the law and the sacrificial system and saying, okay, let's look through the lens of Jesus at all this. And so we're kind of taking a Leviticus adjacent approach, uh, and we're going to look um, at Jesus and the sacrificial system today and going outside the camp. But before, before we dive into that and, uh, and go further, just sharing a little bit more about me. Uh, some of you may know, but most of you probably don't. Um, I really enjoy, my favorite hobby, I think, is snowboarding. Really, if you know me at all, you know I don't really have hobbies. Um, and yeah, 
the, the chuckle, if you caught it over here, is like, yep, that's true. Um, work, family, faith, I enjoy all of it. But snowboarding is one of those things that I just absolutely love. Grew up doing um, in Northern California, a small town, like not near Tahoe or like the big places, but I was about an hour and a half away from Mount Shasta, a smaller place, and got to go snowboarding. Had a snowboard team in high school, so just really enjoyed that. And, and fell in love with it, really, when we had just lots of snow. And I got to go in kind of the backcountry, and you're riding on fresh powder, and it is like floating through the clouds. It is an amazing experience. And then I moved away and, and went to college, still in California, but the central coast of California. So I was like six hours away from snow. Uh, and so the snowboarding kind of fell by the wayside. And it kind of like fell away and I got married and started working. And, you know, as a CPA, I do tax. And there's this thing called like tax season. And, you know, so it's like helping businesses kind of plan for the end of the year. And then you're, you're kind of going into like, all right, doing, uh, helping them get their, their taxes done and everything. Well, that overlaps. That's like snow season, right? They're like the same. So it was kind of like, well, okay. Guess this wasn't meant to be my, my hobby going on. And that all changed in 2016 um, when kind of end of April, that's kind of like our, our family spend some time together and maybe take a little trip. And we went to a place called Mammoth, which is way out in the middle of nowhere, like California, almost Nevada area. Um, and I'd heard, okay, they have, maybe they have some late snow, and, and we'll take the kids. My oldest was six at that point in time. And so I thought, okay, you know, this will be fun. We'll, we'll do some, you know, they can at least try it out, but it's probably not going to be great. And we went, and it was packed with snow. It wasn't some, like, late spring skiing. It snowed while we were there. And it just kind of rekindled that love, that passion that I had for snowboarding. I was like, man, I've got, like, fresh powder here. This is amazing. And it just, it kind of changed our, our orientation. It brought back a hobby that I thought was gone. And our family kind of started revolving around that a little bit. We reoriented to make our schedules work, to be able to take trips that way, to, to make sure the budget works. We've been doing that ever since, which has been awesome. Now, what does that have to do, if anything, with Leviticus or Hebrews? Well... If you remember, we had this diagram that Charles had, and it's the orientation of Israel, that they are oriented around the presence of God. And his spot was right in the center. So the Holy of Holies, the presence of God in the camp with Israel. And you got one one person, only one person who can go in there once a year. The high priest is going in, and he has to be purified to enter that Holy of Holies, the presence of God. And then we see outward, the whole camp kind of oriented around this thing. Uh, not that snowboarding and the presence of God are exactly the same thing, but <laughs> you, might, you might experience the presence of God as snowboarding. I'm just saying, go try it. But if we recap here, we see what Charles has been teaching us in Leviticus is that Israel was sacred space. It was designed. It was, it was mapped out. It was oriented around the presence of God. It was there to host the presence of the Lord in the tabernacle, or 
uh, tabernacle for some of you, uh, and later the temple. Um, and there were offerings that were not necessarily meant to just, you know, most of the time we think, oh yeah, yeah, the offering, like you have to go burn, offer a sacrifice, and it's, it's all about sin. And Charles is kind of clarifying, oh, a lot of that is actually about just bringing you into the presence of the Lord and uh, a whole bunch of different things and providing food to join at the table. And all of these different offerings were designed to worship God and to let you know that God was there, that this smoke was always rising up from the altar so that anywhere in the camp you look and you know he's at the center and he is always there to meet with you. And last week, uh, Charles talked about some of the ways that they, the priests entered into that and how they were to lead those sacrifices. And one of the things that, uh, one of my takeaways on that was, this is really kind of an act of spiritual warfare. And I mean that in the sense that God was specifically telling his people don't do it like them. You don't worship me like you see the foreign nations worshiping false gods. You don't come in sexual immorality. You don't come in lewdness. You don't come seeking some sort of pleasure or some sort of earthly thing. You come and you prepare to be in my presence. And you need to be holy and set apart and pure as you worship me. And that took an entire orientation around that, an entire life of preparation to be in the presence of God. And so as we come to Hebrews today, as we think about our passage, we need to come with all of this in mind. We're coming through this lens of the sacrificial system. And it, this is like a lot of work for me to, to be able to like, okay, think through all of these things as we think today. Because this isn't how we live life. This is totally different. But this was just day in, day out life in the camp. Like, open up your tent and you see the smoke coming up. And you know, this is what we're about. And you know, okay, we, hey, we have to get our animals ready. And we're going to have to bring our sacrifice or our grain offering to be in the presence of the Lord. Like, this is just what life revolved around when we're reading the, the Bible. And it's very different, very different for us today. So keep that in mind as we read. And you can open up on your Bibles uh, or read along on the screen with me, Hebrews 13, 8 through 16. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips 
that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is the word of the Lord. So, as we look at Hebrews 13, um, before we, we kind of get into the, the passage there, I always want to step back and just talk about the context of what we're looking at. Anytime we're doing that, anything in, in Bible study, just like we're talking about Leviticus and not, that not being natural for us to think about what it was like to live in the camp and the sacrificial system, Hebrews was not written to 21st century Americans. It was not. It was written to first century Jews. And so, um, as we look at how the author of Hebrews was writing to people who were coming from a Jewish background and now believing in Jesus and saying, okay, what does all this mean? We need to understand what he was intending for them. And so, a little background about the book of Hebrews. We don't know who it was written by. Uh, there's a whole lot of conjecture around that. I won't throw out a guess, um, you know, but it probably not Paul scholars think based off of like the Greek and that sort of thing. Um, maybe Barnabas or Apollos or Silas or Timothy or somebody like that. Who knows? Um, but it was written in the first century, likely in the 60s AD, uh, before the fall of Jerusalem and, and the temple. And the reason um, why we're thinking that is because Hebrews, if you read it, has a ton of quotes. Like every sentence, every other sentence has like some reference to the Old Testament, um, which you should always the recommended way, like, okay, we'll go back and read the reference, like look back at what, and that is gonna take you forever, literally. Um, There are so many references to the Old Testament, which is awesome, Uh, but it doesn't talk at all about like post-sacrificial system. And so it seems kind of weird, like it seems like this is an ongoing normal thing. It would be weird if it was post-fall of the temple. Um, So that's why a lot of scholars, there's debate, but there are a lot of scholars think, okay, before that, um, maybe mid-60s, like during Nero's persecution um, sort of, of timeline. And the goal, the, the number one goal of, that the writer has is demonstrating how Jesus is above all. So he's, he's comparing back. So he's going, okay, let's look at the law. Let's look at what was going on there. Jesus is better. Let's look at Moses. And let's look at what an amazing uh, prophet of God. Jesus is better than Moses, any of the prophets. Let's look at that sacrificial system. Let's look at the priests. Yeah, you know what? Jesus is like a whole nother line. The line of Melchizedek. He's an eternal priest. He's way better. Let's look at spiritual beings. Well, that seems like amazing. People are even drawn into worship. Nope, he's better than all of them. So Jesus is above all. Goal number one, if you take nothing else away from the book of Hebrews, he wants you to know Jesus is above all. And he is writing to strengthen and encourage believers in suffering. So again, this kind of fits with that mid-60s and Nero's persecution. And I, I don't mean persecution like I'm having a rough week. I, I don't mean like man, the, the culture around us just isn't acknowledging God and, or like Christians are getting a bad rap. Like, no, I, I mean, like Nero is burning Christians in the streets to light the, the streets. I, I mean, 
really, really painful, horrible torture. That's what we're talking about. And he's saying to them, Jesus is better. Jesus is above all. And you have the presence of God with you. And he's encouraging them through that. So with all of that in mind, that background, we come through the lens of Leviticus, through the lens of the, the, the writer's point here, and he is, he is bookending um, th- this, this book, this letter. So chapter 13, the end of Hebrews, he's referring back in verse 8 that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever, and he's bookending back to chapter 1 where he started out, and he started out saying, Jesus is above all. Jesus is God is his point here. And this is referring back to Psalm 102. Like I said, there's like scripture references all over. So Psalm 102, uh, 25 to 27. It's talking about how God never changes and he is always there. And that's his point here where he's recapping uh, for uh, the people he's writing to for the church then and saying, uh, Jesus is God. And so everything that we talk about then as we look throughout the the passage, we need to have that umbrella over the top. And Jesus is unchanging as God. Since he is unchanging, we're never going to need another sacrifice. So kind of giving away the main point, like this is the the whole point of the passage, and we're going to talk about the sacrifices and, and connecting back to Leviticus. But his whole point is, Jesus is it. And if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then we're done. Period. He wins. No more sacrifices needed. Nothing else. We can enter God's presence forever because of what he did. But that doesn't mean that we don't change. (laughs) Jesus is unchanging. But he changes us completely. So he, he loves us. He meets us where we are, but that doesn't mean we pray a prayer. We see Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We see he is the eternal sacrifice, and we pray a prayer, and we're done there. And yes, and amen, we pray that prayer, and we say, okay, Lord, take all of me. And so this main point of Jesus is everything leads to us changing completely. Uh, I, don't know about, uh, I don't know about you, but I need that <laughs> from day to day, that changing completely. But because Jesus offers us something better and, he, and his sacrifice is eternal, we can sacrifice willingly because we can see he is God and he's never gonna change and he already defeated death. So it doesn't matter what's going on. Right back to that persecution thing, like Nero's got nothing on Jesus. So even in the midst of that, like extreme torture, we can say with confidence, we can sacrifice willingly. We can give it all to him. So Leviticus adjacent. This is where we, we kind of dive into uh, more of the Leviticus teaching, and we talk about strange teachings. So he says, don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. And again, this goes back to Jesus. He's the same 
His word is the same. And when we talk about this, just kind of like we're talking about Hebrews through the, the lens of the whole book, one little passage, we never want to just take one passage. We want to look at and see the continuity through the whole Bible, through all of God's word. So whether it's me up here or Charles, or whether you're listening to your favorite internet preacher, we test it. We test what we're hearing. We test the teachings by the word of God and by what Jesus is saying. And so we don't need to worry about being led astray by diverse and strange teachings. And that's what he's encouraging them to do, is to say, look, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't go looking for something new. We don't need the newest, coolest thing. We need the Jesus thing. We need where the Spirit is leading with that. And at that point in time, some of the, the things that he was talking about there are things like people trying to f- take what they were oriented around, this whole Jewish system, this way of life that they've been doing for a long time and say, okay, we've got Jesus, that's great, but you also have to c- keep doing all these sacrifices. You have to keep doing all this other stuff called uh, the Judaizers throughout the New Testament. They're trying to bring like Jesus through the law. They're trying to say like, hey, go clean up, go, go do these things, and yes, Jesus too. And it's not a yes, Jesus too, it's a Jesus only. And all those other things are pointing to him. We're, we're designed, we need to be oriented around his presence. And then we don't need the newest, coolest thing with that. And some of the other teachings that we see in the New Testament authors, like, trying to fight against or trying to find the new cool thing out there. And a lot of times that can be, that's called Gnosticism or it's called trying to look for spiritual knowledge or something like that. Yes, ask the Lord to reveal to you what he has in store for you, but then test it with scripture to make sure it's in line because it shouldn't change, his word doesn't change. So we don't need the the shiny new thing, um, but we do need to change and grow. And with this, I was I was looking back. Have you ever looked back at something you wrote years ago, and you just immediately like, ooh? And, and for me, like I, I have one of two reactions. I either look and go, I don't remember writing that. Like, oh, okay. I'm like, did I really write that? Like, that's good. I could not have. I don't think I could come up with that now. And I'm either like impressed with myself or something, or I'm just like cringing. Like, ooh, I wrote that. Like, uh, oops. Whether it's that paper or that journal or whatever. And I, so I came across um, like some Bible study stuff that I wrote, and it was encouraging people to be in the Word. And like, yes, amen. Like that does, that part, I wasn't I wasn't completely off. But then the way that I'm saying it, I'm mean like definitely lack nuance and like specifically saying, um, what, what did I, I tell people like, hey, God, you know, the word of God is, how, is primarily how God's going to talk to you. Like, don't be looking for him to like, for an audible voice or something, right? You know, it's like, oh, okay, like kind of learning more. And like, actually he does, he does that too. <laughs> so, so maybe I should like nuance that with like, hey, be rooted in the word of God, but also be listening, because he might be speaking to you and you might not be paying attention. I, just those things where you go, yep, you gotta have grace with 
anybody who's teaching, all of us learn and grow over time. Um, but as we, as we learn and grow, we look back and we look at this passage and we see, you know, as the people uh, of Israel grew, they grew away from God through this lens of Leviticus. And we don't want to grow like that. We want to hear him better over time and be focused on his presence. So instead of orienting around, okay, it's God's presence. That's the point. They started looking at the rituals of the sacrifices. And like, okay, well, this didn't work. And ultimately, years later, hundreds of years later, they end up in captivity and the nation's overthrown and all this bad stuff. So when they come back by Jesus' time, they've come back. We're in what we call the second temple Judaism, there's a new temple, it's restored, and they're going, we are all in on this. Like, we have to do this perfectly, and we're going to take the law of God, and we're going to add, like, okay, before you can even think about coming and bringing your sacrifice, you've got to do these steps ahead. And, ooh, I don't know about your animal that that's good enough, but, hey, you can buy mine over here. So there's, like, all types of different things leading away from God, either focusing on you got to do all the right steps and like, hey, if you're going to come and be clean, like don't just be clean, but like you need to wash these times and this much time beforehand so that you can make sure, oh, you didn't wash the right way? I don't know. Didn't you hear this rabbi say that you're supposed to wash the right way before you come, not even before you can address the law of Moses, right? You go, wait a minute, they're adding. Jesus has some pretty strong things to say to them about that right? So as, the, as they're coming in here, the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, look, if you're, just, if you're just all about the food, you think that's what's saving you. It's not. It, don't let this become a ritual. That's the same thing for us. Don't let the Sunday morning thing become a ritual. Don't let this become, I'm going to show up on a Sunday morning and I'm going to, you know, worship and like, yeah, okay. Or I'm going to just check the, the box in the morning and be in the word. You know, I'm going to hit play on my Bible and then kind of go about my business and it's kind of playing in the background. I, that's me sometimes, right? Like, that's not what it's about. It's not about checking the box of the ritual or the food. This was all a means of grace. Even in Leviticus, even in Leviticus, this was, whole system was set up for God's presence to be with his people. It was a means of grace, not saying, hey, you go get clean, you go prep these sacrifices, and if you do it right, maybe, maybe I'll show up, maybe you'll be good enough. That's not what God was saying, right? That, go back and listen to these last messages. He's saying, no, come meet with me. Join together, let's have a meal together. Isn't that kind of weird? Like the sacrifices, had you ever thought about that? That the sacrifices is like joining in a meal. Most of those sacrifices were meant for food. And that's a different thing what Hebrews is saying, it's not about the food, though. It's about the grace. It's about the presence of God. And that's different for us. That's different for us. You see, for us, our altar is the cross. 
we have one sacrifice for all. But it's the same type of idea. It's that relationship to be with him, to be reconciled with him. When we take communion and we're joining in the food, right? We're joining in the meal of the sacrifice that Jesus unites us. We participate in his body and his blood. And that becomes eternal and so much better. And when you look at Jesus fulfilling the sacrifices, it's not just to unite us in the, in the meal and, and remembering as we remember that in communion. It's the sprinkling of the blood. It's the sin offering that makes it the place holy. And the sin offering, if you remember back, as we were looking through Leviticus, the fat goes on the altar and the smoke goes up, but it's not, this one isn't a meal when it's for sin. Instead, we see in Leviticus 6, no sin offering shall be eaten from which any blood is brought into the tent of meeting to make atonement in the holy place. It shall be burned up with fire. So he's saying, okay, you go sprinkle the blood and you make it holy, right? Again, go back, listen to more on that. And that's to to bring God's presence, to make it holy for God's presence. And then the sin offering is taken outside the camp and burned up. And so that's what Moses did in Leviticus 8. Uh, We see, as Charles went through last time, is they're instituting, the priests are instituting the sacrificial system. And so if we remember what that's like, and the, the diagram that, Charles had here, and it's a little small, um, but this tabernacle is set up, and in the middle of the building, there's a veil that separates the, the two places, and that separates the holy of holies from the holy place, and when the, the blood is sprinkled on the veil, that brings purity and allows the priest to go in clean. And when Jesus dies, that veil is torn. And this is no longer the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. So originally, this is like, hey, the Ark of the Covenant, God's throne is there. And when we see that in Leviticus, and when Jesus comes, when he dies, the veil's torn, the presence of God leaves the then temple. Uh, permanent structure, not the tabernacle, the tent like this. And there's so many parallels we see as Jesus dies for us in fulfilling these sacrifices. Um, I could nerd out on it like all day. Uh, but again, back to our diagram, like the presence of God was at the center of the camp and it was all the way around. And what Jesus did when that veil was torn, the presence of God goes out and with Jesus goes outside the camp. Who's outside the camp? It's the the Gentiles. It's those unclean. It's those not allowed to be in the presence of God. Jesus goes outside the camp and he goes under the Romans, under crucifixion, outside the city. And one of the scholars that that I was reading with this uh, was just pointing out, like, studied it, knew it, obviously expert in his field, like PhD in this stuff in New Testament. And he goes... I didn't really understand it until I went to the Middle East and there's a town 
that was basically taken over by ISIS, and they performed, they actually performed crucifixions outside the town, like modern day. And the present, like being present there, it just changed. There's some dark spiritual forces at work there. And it just changed the whole dynamic in him understanding, oh my gosh, going outside the camp and the, the idea of the Gentiles at that time and Jesus being crucified, whole new meaning under that. that I don't think we can fully grasp unless you've been there, or you've experienced something like that. But when Jesus goes outside the camp, we are called to go outside too. So he endures that suffering. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is you all understand this. These are people who in that time understood what was going on under Nero. They understood the threat of torture and death. And he's saying, and follow Jesus out there. Oof. Like that's just gnarly. But with this, he's calling us to follow too. Because his presence is with us. So no longer do we have to worry about coming in or being in a physical place to have the presence of God. To be able to do that, to be able to say, like, I'm going to follow Jesus outside the camp, that's not an us thing. That's, that's like a, I can't do it. When you ever think about that, like, man, what would happen if something horrible happened? Or like, you know, what, what would I do? Like, how would I react if, if we were persecuted or, or for our faith? Or if I, you know, would I renounce Jesus if, if I had a gun to my head? Or if I had the threat of the cross over there? Ooh. But when the presence of God is with you and the Holy Spirit fills you, the writer of Hebrews can say with confidence, let's follow him out. That requires a complete kingdom reorientation. Very much, very much different from what I would normally think about. You see, if, if we think back, Israel was meant to be completely oriented around God's presence. And, and we had, right, we were looking at the, we were just looking at the diagram and saying, okay, it's concentric circles, right? God's at the center. That's the same thing for us. So geographically, they were geographically, they were seasonally, their, their days, their weeks, their years, their festivals throughout the year. It was all oriented around God's presence. Relationally, we talked about the sacrifices and, and being in right relationship with God and with each other through that and just being part of their community as a people. They were called as a people to follow God, to be in his presence. And politically, as a nation, and again, they failed at that, but it was supposed to be the judges going to God and ruling Israel with God, partnering with him. The king of Israel later being a partner with him is supposed to be God's person and then following what, what he wanted. That ultimately, obviously, didn't work for the nation of Israel. But Jesus changed all of that. He brought God's presence out of the temple into his followers. So we should have that same mindset. Followers of Jesus should be completely oriented around God's presence. If that was the intent for his people then, 
It is the intent for his people now. It just looks very different. So what does that look like? Well, geographically, kind of same sort of idea. That's in us. So Charles talked about it. We're sacred space. So he, he designed the nation of Israel to be a physical location, like sacred space for the, the, to house the presence of God. So now, follower of Jesus, if you believe like you have the spirit of God in you, you are the sacred space. So wherever you go, where you live, where you go, what you do, the places you frequent, the activities you are engaged in, you're bringing the presence of God. Do we think that way? I sure don't. Seasonally, chronologically, how we spend our time. That could be like down to how our day is wired um, in for the last couple thousand years in Christianity, referred to as a rule of life, um, or like some of your daily habits through the day, the spiritual disciplines, like a daily office, where, okay, how am I going to encounter the word and prayer and fasting? And Charles talked about these last week, like these spiritual disciplines and practices that we need to prepare to be in God's presence. So for us, are we orienting our time, our schedules around God's presence? Kind of like the nation of Israel was oriented and, and their days, their weeks, their festivals throughout the year oriented around his presence. Relationally, how we interact with each other, how we talk to each other, or how we post on social media, or whatever we're, whatever we're doing with each other. Jesus is saying, love your enemies, relationally. Like, take it outside the camp. Take God's presence with you outside to those who don't believe, who are enemies of God, and love them. Politically, are we acting as a citizen of heaven? And that's what he points to here in Hebrews, is how can we go outside the camp for or because, right, he's saying we can go outside the camp because we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Are you, do you act, is your life oriented like you're a citizen of heaven first? I'm so thankful that I am an American in that uh, I don't have to know what it's like to live under that deep persecution. Sometimes I think there's a little bit, I, a little bit of a, it makes it a little more challenging for me to like fully orient it because I don't fully grasp what that's like and to really cling and depend on um, the spirit of God in me day by day. But I don't always interact as a citizen of heaven first. That's, that's just kind of not how I'm wired. And as a body, as a group of us, like, shoot, this is an election year. This is going to be very clear. Are we more interested in the kingdom of America? Is our hope in making America great? Or is our hope in Jesus and the kingdom of heaven? that becomes really clear to everyone inside and outside the camp. As we look at this passage, he wraps up with a couple things that are specific. So as I was 
just kind of thinking through those things, right? Like, what does that kingdom reorientation look like? Think through that, process that. But there are two things that specifically the author of Hebrews refers to that I don't think you can exclude. So he says, through, through him, through Jesus, let us continually, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. I want to clarify, God might mean for you today, like, hey, I don't feel like worshiping right now. Come and, and sing to him. That might mean, be what he means for you today, and, and you need that encouragement in the moment. That's not primarily what the author of Hebrews is talking about. He doesn't, he's not saying, come sing some songs, and whether you feel it or not, like, Acknowledge his name, and, and it's a sacrifice of praise. You're sacrificing by praising. No, he's pointing to then and now deep persecution. Charles has talked about confession and how we uh, confess Jesus, that we are giving our loyalty, our allegiance as believers to him. And that's what he's talking about here, that we're acknowledging his name. And that's a sacrifice because at that point in time, you might be given the choice to say, hey, acknowledge Caesar is Lord and offer your, burn your incense, offer your offering to him. And you might be given that choice to say, oh, but I can't. I have to confess Jesus is Lord. And then there might be something really ugly on the other side of that. So are you ready to confess the name of Jesus, not Caesar, come what may, that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. So for us, we, don't, we don't really don't have a comparison like that, thankfully. We don't have a, a Caesar there. But we should think through that. What does that mean? Confess Jesus. Jesus is Lord, not what? Not, we were talking about political system, not a Joe Biden, not a Donald Trump. Confess the name of Jesus. Maybe it's pop culture. Um, it's, it's not a Taylor Swift. Uh, I could, we could spend a whole lot of time talking about the game last weekend and how messed up that was. Uh, yes, really. <laughs> and all Niner fans say amen. Uh, and you know what? We need to confess Jesus is Lord, not Taylor Swift or Travis Kelsey or whatever, right? Maybe, maybe it's money in our economic system. Jesus calls that mammon. Is that the God that we need to say, nope, Jesus is Lord, not mammon? Maybe it's, maybe it's me. Maybe it's my rights, my freedoms. Don't cut me off on the road. Don't tell me I can't do something. You want to see what happens when you do that? Maybe I need to be saying, no, Jesus is Lord. Not me. God, where are you leading? How, am I, how do I orient around your presence? And then he follows that up with action, not just thinking through it, not just acknowledging or confessing, but then do something. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. 
And look, we know nothing about sacrificing and giving compared to the people that he's writing to. We just don't. Everyone in this room, if, you're, if you made it here today, you are rich, like literally wealthy in comparison. And he's saying, give sacrificially. He's saying, share what you have. Like that's indicting to me. How, how am I orienting in my giving, in my time, in my money, in stuff? How, how are we doing good and honoring him that way? So as we close out today, I'm going to invite the, the band to come up and um, reflect on, on this, really. Just saying, Lord, how do I need to reorient my life around your presence? Maybe it's something small. Maybe it's the, just the schedule throughout the day. Maybe it's trying some of those spiritual disciplines and saying, I, I can put that together and form a rule of life or uh, a, you know, basically daily habits. And this is kind of going to be the routine and how I, it, rather than me kind of fitting it in and, and pushing play on my phone, I'm going to change and I'm going to schedule my work around making time with God, around focusing on his presence so that he's there with me throughout the day. You know, maybe it's <laughs> like with snowboarding, you know, we're changing our schedule, changing our budget. Maybe it's looking at that and saying, we need to fo- refocus our budget to be oriented around God. We need to focus our seasons. Maybe it's saying, rather than taking that fun vacation, we need to go find a place to serve and do a mission trip. I don't know. Ask, where does he want you to reorient your life around his presence? And where does he want you to go? So like Jesus following him outside the camp, he's going to the Gentiles and he's going to the Romans. And remember Jesus is telling people there, he's telling them, these Romans that are gonna crucify me, if they tell you to carry their pack for a mile, carry it too. These Romans who have pagan, sexually immoral, horrible practices, go love them, go pray for them, go tell them the kingdom of God is here and call them into it. Where does God want us to take that? Take his presence with us. Not to say, hey, American culture, get in line. You need to look like us. You need to change your habits and your practices. No, American culture, unbeliever, the kingdom of God is here. God loves you. What does he wanna do? Bring his presence there with you. And then see when they say Jesus is Lord, how he changes their life, how he takes away the gender confusion, how he changes their priorities and how we can be transformed. So let's ask God, Holy Spirit, where, where do you want us to bring your presence outside the camp?
Father, you are good, so, so good. I just pray that you would ignite a passion for you, that you would fill us with your spirit to empower us, to fully orient our lives around you and to love supernaturally and sacrificially like Jesus did outside the camp. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's enter in through the blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Forgive us for trying to enter your presence any other way than through the blood of Jesus. I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy center everything around your presence oh I'm not here for blessings Jesus you don't owe me anything more than anything that you can do I just want you sorry I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions I'm sorry when I just sing another song take me back to where we started I open up my that you're enough take me back to where we started I open up my heart to you I'm caught up in your presence come on church enter in I just want to sit here at your I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, Jesus, you don't owe me. 
just want you. I just want you. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. I just want you. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. I just want you. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else. Come on, do you just want Jesus? I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I'm caught up in your presence, Jesus. I just want to sit here at your feet. Caught up in this holy moment, I never want to leave. Confess it. Oh, I'm not here for blessings, Jesus. Jesus, you don't owe me. More than anything that you can do, I just want you.
you that his face would shine upon you this week yes. don't forget there is um, bible study in the fellowship hall on wednesday at 6 30 we'll see you there see you next sunday mm-hmm.